Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people, You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food with them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you all in the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. He knows these 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on, away from our brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, away from the Arabah, toward Elab, to Izion. Okay, so the Lord spoke to them and said, uh, you've uh, circled uh, this mountain long enough. As he says in verse 1, they circled Mount Seir for many days. That would be about 13,880 days. That they sort of uh, walked in place, kind of like running on my treadmill. Will it get anywhere? Uh, they didn't get anywhere. And finally God says, okay, that's long enough. You've learned a lesson. Now turn north. And uh, I want you to pass through the territory of Esau. Now, he wants them to be careful not to provoke the Edomites. The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. He says, they'll be afraid of you. Don't provoke them. For I'm not going to give you any of their land. Why not? Verse 5. I don't know if you would have expected this or not. Because I have given up Seir to Esau as a possession. God gave Esau that territory that's not yours. Sometimes we might not think about the fact that God assigned territories to other nations and other peoples besides the Israelites. God giving the land of Canaan to Israel is not the first time God has given a land to some nation and given them the strength to conquer it. So this is not your land, it's theirs. And he says, you know, don't do buy the food and purchase the water and uh, don't, don't take anything of theirs that doesn't belong to you. They don't need to anyway. God has been meeting their needs. They don't need to plunder their neighbors. Just think about the God who is the God who more or less, think about like a, a sovereign ruler over a territory that is sort of allocating the land to his vassals. You know, and no vassal is supposed to trespass the boundaries that his overlord set. That's sort of God. He's, he's telling every nation, you know, here's where you can go and here's where you can't, here's your territory and here's what's not. Think about what Paul said in Acts 17. Acts 17, verse uh, 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. You can go ahead and read there. But the idea is God's the one in charge and He decides who gets where. Um, so, He says, go through Esau's territory, but do not take anything, not territory and not stuff, without paying for it, because that's their land that I've given them. 
comments and questions to Barzink? Yes, Alex. In uh, Numbers 21, verse 16, it, it mentions that the Lord had given them water there. Um, why didn't, I mean, they, they were told to buy the water from the Esau, Esau's nation, the descendants of Esau. Why did God give them water there instead of them just buy it, you know? I don't know the answer to that. Good question. Somebody know? Tim put his hand down quick. <laughs> they didn't actually go through Esau, right? They had to go around. They went around. Tim? Just a different question. Okay. okay. Um, so Ephesians makes a big you know, emphasis on God uniting different nations. And, so what about in the Old Testament, uh, you hear God making different nations and distinct nations. Is there a reconciliation of how God seems to be Dividing and separating people, but then saying it's good how he brings them back together in the New Testament. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about that. Um, you know, I mean, there's a sense in which God wants Israel in the Old Testament to be a light to the nations and a priest to the nations and to let them see God through them. Um, so, but I mean, you know, him giving different territories uh, didn't necessarily mean uh, that that couldn't happen. But God certainly didn't want his people spiritually intermixed with the pagans. Thoughts about all that? Yeah. I was going to say that, well, God wanted to divide all these nations in the Old Testament because Jesus hasn't come yet. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of Old Testament picture of the people coming from the east and the west and the north and the south and all the nations coming to the Lord, you know, flowing up to the mountain in Isaiah 2 and so forth. So there's the idea of God bringing people from everywhere together in Christ. We certainly have a great emphasis on that. Yes. Don't you have yeah. the same time period as the Israelites? You have the other nations are actually being accountable to God for not eating uh, blood and not committing fornication. They're accountable to God for those things, right? So they can still be righteous uh, in the same way that the Israelites can. Yeah, certainly God had a will for all people. Before he chose Abraham, he had a will for all people. And when he chose Abraham, it didn't change the fact he had laws and rules for all the nations that they broke. So uh, it was an opportunity for them to sin as well when it's all said and done. But yes, God certainly God had a relationship with people outside of the Israelites. Okay. We'll see that a little bit more in this next section. This next section is a little bit longer. But, but here's what I want you to be looking for and thinking about. This section kind of goes through and talks about different nations that God has given their land to. And he talks about some of the uh, peoples that they have had to overcome in order to gain that land. So think about this. Would somebody read 9 to 23? Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given art to the descendants of Lot as a possession, 
and the Amim had dwelt there in the times past, and the people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. And they were also regarded as giant like the Anakim. And the Moabites, Moabites called them Amim, and the Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place just as Israel did to the land of their possession which the Lord had gave them. Now rise and cross over the valley of the Zered. So we cross over the valley of the Zered. And when we came, we took, or when we took to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of Zered, uh, was 38 years until all the generation of men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them, to destroy them from the midst of the camp, until they were consumed. So it was, when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people, that the Lord spoke to me, saying, This day you are to cross over at Ar, the boundary of Moab, and when you come near to the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there. But the Ammonites called them Zamzumim, as a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau, who had dwelt in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites from before them. They dispossessed them and dwelt in their place, even to this day, and the Avim who dwelt in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftorim who came from Kaftor destroyed them and dwelt in their place. Okay, Ryan, I think I did the wrong thing here. I thought I could just undo this uh, and then do it back again, but I can't do it back again, so we can figure out how to set it back up. Like that, that. Just do that. Okay, uh, look at what he says here. You know, God is giving them a little bit of a prehistory of various nations. He says, now don't harass Moab, don't provoke them, uh, I won't give you their land, I give it R to the sons of Lot as a possession. And uh, he says that, the Amim formerly lived there. Yeah, I think we may be able to get this in. Let's we'll see. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, what, what he says is, you know, he gave the land of Moab, the area of Ar, and they defeated the Amim, which were Rephaim. Now, he's using the term Rephaim to mean giants. That, that's kind of what it means. So, so the Moabites had their Rephaim, the Emim, that they overcame. Look at verse 11. And actually the Edomites who got Seir, they had their Rephaim, the Horites, that they conquered with the Lord's help. And then he links together both the Moabites and the Ammonites. Remember, they were both descendants of Lot. And he says... Uh, that there were Rephaim that the Ammonites conquered in verse 20, but their name for them was the Zamzumim. So every nation calls those Rephaim by some other name, but they're giants. They're <laughs> Rephaim, uh, nevertheless. And in fact, he, he mentions in verse 23, you have the Capturin, who, who received the area of Gaza. So these were like the Philistines, 
And they overcame their Raphaim, the Avim, just as, if you look at verse 21, he says, the Zamzumim were a people as great, numerous, and tall as the Anakim. Now the Anakim are the Raphaim in the land of Canaan that Israel needs to overcome. So what he's saying is, God gave the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Kaftarim various lands where they had to conquer giants, that is Rephaim, in their lands, even though they may have called them by other names. That ought to give to the Israelites great confidence and hope if God can give the victory to Edomites, Moabites, Ammonites, and Kaftarim, he surely will give the victory to his own people. Sorry about that. Yeah, there we go. Uh, you know, technology and me are not on a first-name basis. Uh, at 57, when I got my computer technology minor in college, we were using punched cards. That's what I know about computers. So, uh, But God's power can enable His people then to overcome the Anakim in the land of Canaan. Now, there's a lot of things you learn from that. I mean, you learn a lot by the idea when God has given victory to other people in parallel situations, sure that you can trust Him in this situation. And I think that idea is a very strong idea, and we need to learn from that. But you also learn that there's a sense in which the Israelite exodus and conquest were not unique. That the exodus deliverance other nations have experienced their deliverance also. I've always been amazed by the passage in Amos chapter 9. I don't know if you know this passage. Amos 9. Where God is telling the Israelites, you're not as unique as you think you are. He said in Amos 9 and verse 7, Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt? and the Philistines from Kaptur, and the Arameans from Kerr. They had their exoduses, exodi, I don't know whatever the plural of that is, just like you guys did. You know, I brought them up from their captivities and gave them their lands just like I gave you your land. That is such an encouragement. You know, to think that God is a God who's been involved with all nations, but it's also kind of a rebuke to the Israelites, who thought, well, we're really special. And, I mean, there's no other nation that God ever cares about like He cares about us. And uh, God had blessed the Israelites in a special way, and He was using them in a special way, but God had been giving exoduses and conquests and victories and territories to a lot of other nations as well. I want to notice one other thing with you here in the reading. In Deuteronomy 2 and verse 14, he talks about that they wandered the wilderness for those 38 years until, the, until all the generation of the men of war perished from within the camp. Do you find that a bit curious that he speaks of them as all the generation of the men of war? You know, I mean, they should have been. But they didn't exactly qualify, did they? All this generation of the men of war, the only war we know about their fighting was the one that was the disaster where they fought without the Lord's help. 
You know, they should have been the generation that conquered Canaan. But as it turned out, they weren't much men of war at all. Um, comments and questions uh, through verse 23. I'm just curious about the capturing because it's like the other ones had some kind of a promise from God. You know, you had Lot and, um, you know, with Moab and Ammon, you had Seir. But are, I'm pretty sure aren't they capturing, they're like from Crete or something, right? right? So it's like, that's kind of interesting to me. Do you have any? Well, I think it just shows you that God's interest was broader than just descendants of Abraham or family of Abraham or whatever. That God's been involved with various nations. You know, when he speaks in chapter 9 of Amos about the Arameans, the Arameans were not, you know, Abraham's people, and yet God brought them up from Kirk. So I, I think God just does that, and God has a relationship with other nations, and he blesses them in various ways and so forth. And the, the, the Israelites were so tempted to think, we are God's favorites, and there's nobody else God even pays attention to, like he was their special territorial God. They often thought about him just like they thought about the other God. He's ours, and the other nations have theirs, but really God is the God of all the nations. Other thoughts? Yes? Well, he would have been their God in a special way that he set them up so that they would be the light of what he wanted them to be to all the other nations. Yes. Because later in Deuteronomy, he's going to call them out and say, you're a holy people. You know, God has chosen you to be a special people for, his, for what he wanted to get accomplished to the rest of the nations. And in the land that he's going to move them into, they're going to be in the center of all these nations. Right. And influence to all the world if they don't but follow him. And as they close, as the Old Testament closes, we looked at this yesterday, but as the Old Testament closes in Malachi, we're back to the question when they challenge God, basically, about his love. You know, wherein have you loved us? God said, I love you more than I love Esau. I hated Esau. That's why you're not going to get his mountain by the way back here. But he said, I hated it. And it was because of what Esau did. He said, well, you're a special people to me when you follow me and do, do my will. Yeah, God had a special role for them. He wanted them to be a light to the nations, and he equipped them to be able to be. God was working with Israel in a special way for the benefit of all the nations, but it was not like God didn't care about the other nations or didn't work with them in some ways as well. Yeah, good, good thoughts. Yes? So is the reference in... 14, 15, and 16, chapter 2, to the generation as a whole. Yes. And that includes, we were talking about this on the way up, we were listening to the women, the children, or not the children, obviously, but... 20 and over. 20 yeah. and over. I think both male and female. And your comment about men of war is that they really didn't fight many wars. They weren't much men of war, although they could have been. Was it an implication to their leadership and that they lacked in that area? Well, they hadn't gone into the land like they should have. So I think it's kind of a rebuke to them to call them men of war. They were more men of war in prospect than in reality because they refused to go up with God's blessing. Okay. Good, good comments. Good thoughts. So, calling them men of war also exclude the, uh, the priests since the priests, some of the priests also went into the land. I don't know what to say about that. Eliezer did go into the land, so I don't know how to look at that. Somebody got a good comment, and that's a great question. Uh, I received some advice from Joe Works today just not to allow questions. 
he knows a lot more about Deuteronomy than I've forgotten. So, uh, but he's not here. Micah is. So if you remember any of his answers to these questions, why, uh, you can uh, give him. But uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of questions I don't know the answer to. So any any questions you do know the answer to, feel free to uh, chime in. A lot of questions I've got about this. I think it's cool what we can understand and keep asking and trying to find the answers to the others. Yes. I was thinking it was just the men, not the women, who were destroyed. I assumed it was all the people 20 and over. Anybody got an intelligent comment about uh, whether it was only the men or both? I assumed it was both, but I don't know if I can prove that. Verse 14, I mean, all the generation of the men of war. So it would be all the generation of the men of war. Yeah, that would seem to imply both the men and the women, perhaps. And 16 says just all the men of war, so. Yeah. 14 says generation 16 says the men. Right. Might have to go back and study through the language in Numbers 14 and see if we can, you know, nail that down better. I, I don't have a specific answer to that. Yes, Jim. Uh, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, that seems comprehensive. What, what verse is that? That's 1429. Numbers 1429, okay. Numbers 1429 might indicate both genders. The effect was pretty much the same, regardless. <laughs> Good point, yes. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of interesting questions, some of which you know we may be able to answer, some of which we may not, but it's good to think about them, so... All right, um, 24, this is Deuteronomy 2, 24 to 37. <coughs> Arise, set out, and look, set out, and pass through the valley of Arnon. Look, I have given Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land into your hand. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens, who, when they hear the report of you, will tremble and be in anguish because of you. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will travel only on the highway. I will not turn aside to the right or to the left. You will sell me food for money so that I may eat, and give me water for money so that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the just as the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me, until I cross over the Jordan into the land which the Lord our God is giving to us. But Sihon king of Heshbon was not willing for us to pass through his land, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand, as he is today. The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and, and his land over to you. Begin to occupy that you may possess his land. Then Sihon with all his people came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz. The Lord our God delivered him over to us, and we defeated him with his sons and all his people. So we captured all his cities all that time, at that time and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivor. We took only the animals as our booty and the spoil of the cities which we had captured. From Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city, which is in the valley, even to Gilead, there was no city that was too high for us. The Lord our God delivered all over to us. Only you did not go near to the land of the sons of Ammon, all along the river Jabbok, and the cities of the hill country, and wherever the Lord our God had commanded us. Okay, 
So they uh, come up to the Valley of Arnon and to the territory of Sihon the Amorite. That tells you something. You remember that uh, God had told Abraham back in Genesis 15 that they could not possess the land yet because the iniquity of the Amorite was not yet complete. Now the Amorite's iniquity is complete. Sihon is an Amorite. That means this is a part of the territory that God has given to the people of Israel. He is fair game for conquest. Now the Israelites give him a fair opportunity to allow them to pass through just like they told the others without messing with anything, you know, paying for what they uh, use and things like that. And uh, Sihon was not willing. In fact, in verse 30, God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. And he went out in verse 32 with all his people to meet them in battle. They say, look, please just let us pass through and we won't disturb anything. And he doesn't not, he not only refuses, he goes out with an army to fight him. You know, a request to pass through leads him to want to fight because God hardened his heart. God wanted him to be non-compliant and to bring disaster upon him. So God uh, led him to, to do that. No king, no human power, can ever oppose God's will. God will do the right thing. He will do what he chooses to do. He had determined that the Amorites' iniquity was full. I assume that includes Sihon. That Sihon was a wicked man, a wicked king of a wicked nation that deserved to be punished. God was using the Israelites both to punish the Amorites and through that he was giving the land that he had sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. So when Sihon goes with his army to meet the Israelites in battle, who wins? God does. Does God? Who wins? God does. Who else wins? The Israelites. Yeah. Look at verse 33. God delivered. Look at verse 44. 34. We captured. Verse 35. We took. And, and verse 36. The Lord delivered. Isn't that the way those things often go? This was not either or. The Lord won the victory, but the Israelites did the fighting. And, and that's what God intends. When, when we think about things like, you know, uh, do we depend on God for our daily bread. Do, does God feed us or do we feed ourselves? Yes. 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 <laughs> you know, we depend on the Lord for our food always. We certainly cannot act independently of Him. But he feeds us as we work and do responsible things in providing for ourselves. That's a part of what God intends. Now, how thoroughly did they defeat Sihon, the king of the Amorites? King Heshbon. Very. Very. Like how very? Thoroughly destroyed. Yeah, utterly. Verse 34, utterly destroyed the men, women, and children. We left no survivor. That's pretty thorough. And why were they that thorough in wiping every last hesh by light out? That's what God said to do in the land. Now, 
Other nations far away will see later they could make treaties with them and only kill the men. But it was that those that were under the ban, under the punishment, all of them were supposed to be killed. Uh, totally annihilated. Think about the application to us. We must be just that ruthless in destroying sin in our own life. You know, remember the God, the Jesus that says to pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, things like that. The idea of that is we need to totally destroy the things that lead us away from God and into sin. Oh, notice something else. We're in Deuteronomy 2.36. No city was too high for us. You remember back to 128? You know, their cities are large and fortified to heaven. When God is with us, He doesn't make any difference how tall the city wall is. It can be up to heaven. That seems to have been somewhat of an exaggeration, but I guess they were really, really, really tall. But you can't get taller than God. You know, no city was too tall when the Lord was giving the victory and the people were cooperating with the Lord fighting the battle in the Lord's strength. What a wonderful change of spirit from the way things were a generation earlier. Comments or questions? I suspect that the Moabites were just as wicked as the Amorites because of how it describes them in Numbers 21, uh, verse uh, 29, how, was, how they were worshiping uh, Molech. Um, but they weren't part of the land, uh, so they weren't to be destroyed by Israel, even though they were wicked. Yes, and, and God knows when he wants to destroy who. You know, God knows all of that, and uh, you know He does it in the way that He chooses. Thank you. Um, you had kind of talked like talked about God uh, hardening the heart of the king. Yes. He did that with Pharaoh, and it talks about in John that He also hardened hearts. And I've always struggled with that idea versus free will. But are you saying that it's kind of like in Romans one, where He finally gave them over their passions? Yeah, yeah. It's it is kind of a challenge for us when we read of God hardening hearts. For one thing, we'd always expect God to soften the heart and to, uh, you know, try to, you know, lead somebody to obey, not to make it worse for them. And then, you know, does God take away somebody's free will in that? Think about a couple of things. One is, remember that the iniquity of the Amorite is full. This is a punishment. God will harden people as a punishment. Kind of reminds me of 2 Thessalonians 2, where he says the deluding influence for those who don't believe or love the truth. This is not something that keeps them from believing or loving the truth. This is the people who don't believe the truth and don't love the truth. That's what God does to them. So that's something to keep in mind, is that idea of uh, this being a punishment that they deserve. This is not making them rebellious. This is hardening them because they are rebellious. And then I don't know that God hardens in a way that interferes with free will anyway. I suspect that God, through various circumstantial things, hardens their hearts. I will say that in the case of Pharaoh, it's interesting that the, the way God sends the plagues and, and withdraws them and things like that seemed to have really hardened Pharaoh, but a lot of Pharaoh's advisors were softened. You know, the same sun that hardens bricks softens butter. So it may be that what God did that would harden a Pharaoh might not have hardened to somebody else. Uh, so those are some things to think about. Still in all, I don't know that I understand all the details of that. There are many things that God does that I can see some things about it, 
I certainly believe that God's just and fair, and I believe He gave men free will. But but exactly how He does all those things, uh, I certainly over my head. So yes. Well, in Romans one, where the people were so wicked, it said because of their wickedness, He gave them over to certain things. So I think the heart has to be hard to start with. Certainly in Pharaoh's case, it says that he hardened his own heart several times before it begins to say God hardened him. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts on all of this in chapters 1 and 2? Yes? number here. I counted uh, roughly about 210 before the last 10 or 15 people came in. So we have a good crowd. There's no way everybody's going to use the bathroom at one time. But uh, uh, looking at this, one more section and then we're going to sing for a little while. 
Uh, so, would somebody read chapter 3, verses 1 through 11? 